Welcome to the Providence Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Nathan Herndon. If you'd like to stay connected, download our app Providence Community from your phone's app store or visit our website at providencecommunity.org. Hey guys, good to see you all. My name is Nathan, one of the pastors here. Grab your Bibles. Um, we're going to be all over the scriptures this morning, um, but put your finger in two places for now. Uh, number one, in the book of Exodus chapter 30, and then 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Um, those are two uh, major places, main places that we're going to be, but they're not going to be the only places uh, that we're going to be this morning. This morning, I want to begin a conversation um, with you on a topic that's, that's uh, very uh, important to me, and uh, I pray that it becomes increasingly important to the church in general, and not just this one, but to the church in general. I pray this topic becomes uh, increasingly important. And that is, uh, I want to begin a conversation talking about the importance of encounter. Okay. Uh, importance of encounter, importance of the presence of God. Now, we live in a day when we talk about uh, encounter and we talk about presence, there's a lot of different definitions that we can, we can toss out, and some people mean different things by each one. But this morning, I want to start uh, a conversation that tells you what we mean by this at Providence. Here's what we don't mean at first is we, we don't mean um, there's just watered-down, feel-good, get-excited kind of uh, theology. There actually is a huge, very, very foundationally important theology behind encounter with God and the presence of God. Did you know that? This is not, so when we say encounter, we don't mean entertainment. We want to entertain people so well that they get so excited and they don't even know why. They're just crying and running around the room. That's not what we mean uh, at all. We do want to see people crying and running around the room, but that's because they're so blessed with the person and the work and the presence of God himself in their midst that they don't even know what to do. All right. The importance of encounter the presence of God is so central to, uh, to community life, to bo- uh, uh, biblical living for the church. Um, and actually, what we're going to find is encounter with God is actually what's supposed to be driving our evangelistic efforts. Did you know this? That people begin to, uh, as we start to encounter God, we become an encounter with God. And so we don't have to make massive strategies to get to the nations. It's just as we go into them, we take the presence with us. And so now this is stuff that we have to really learn on because I don't know about you, but I was raised with the kind of theology that pressured me into witnessing to my neighbors. And so I didn't make, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't go and knock on my neighbor's door and tell them about Jesus, so to speak, out of love or because I couldn't help myself. But it's because I felt like I had to. Listen, guys, some things need to be encountered. They can't just be taught. Okay, And there's a kind of teaching that comes from the presence that is actually teaching that changes, while there's another type that is an actual teaching, okay, that is just a, a, a transfer of information that didn't start in the presence. Hello. So, yes, uh, Friday, my little boy, he's teeny. Sometimes I carry around him in the palm of my hand, all right? Uh, my little boy, Ethan, he just turned 13 years old on Friday, all right? 
uh, world changer. I went to write him a letter. I cried so much, I had to hit pause on that, all right? Uh, we, at, at his birthday party on Friday, we were all speaking into him and the kind of man we see him becoming. We're celebrating his great childhood, and we're speaking into the, the, the great young adulthood he's operating in, and we're helping him make that transition. And he's sad to move into that, uh, into that young adulthood because he's had such a fantastic boyhood, and we celebrate that. But there's got to come a time where you help people transition to the next season, amen? And so we've been doing that. 13's a big number. And so and, uh, we, Adrian and I, my wife and I, um, decided we're not just going to party with our son, all right? We're not just going to give him a few presents, um, which we did. You should look at his feet. You'll see, you'll see what we got him. Uh, so, uh, but uh, yeah, and then, uh, and anyway, um, and I, I, I took a side job. <laughs> uh, so, but uh, no, you, you will see. But anyway, here's what we did. We decided this, and my son loves to eat, and he specifically loves to eat meat. There's not difference. There's, there's wings and nothing else right now in his life, okay? There's meat, and that's it. Um, and so we decided to take him to a place that, that uh, the latter has actually introduced us to. Steve and Kelly, thank you so much. My life's forever been changed. Uh, after they introduced us to a place called Fogo de Chao, which is a Brazilian steakhouse in Baltimore, all right? And you do have to rob a bank to go there, I, I'm telling you. But on, on Labor Day weekend, um, they, uh, they run this special where children 12 and under eat for free. All right? And we said, wait, Labor Day, my son's birthday, we only have to pay for three of us. We're going. And so we went down, we went down there, but I was trying to explain to Ethan why we were doing such a thing, taking him to a place called Fogo de Chao on his 13th birthday. And I'm like, Ethan, here's what, here's what goes on. They, you have a card, a circular card. It's red on one side, green on the other side. Red means no meat. Green means meat, please, all right? And so you flip it on green, and they bring you meat of all kinds and varieties. They bring you chicken legs, chicken things, chicken wrapped in bacon. They bring bacon. They bring pork. They bring steak of all kinds, and they have it on big poles. And you feel, you've never felt like such a man, son, when you take meat off of a metal pole and consume it <laughs> in public. Oh, yeah. And Ethan's like, oh, okay. I'm like, son, I don't think you're getting it. You would be excited if, I, if you really got this. So let me, so the place is nice and it's a great salad bar, but you don't even want to look at the salad when you see the meat. Come on, boy, do you understand what I mean? <laughs> the variety of sauces they put on the meat, son. Do you hear me, son? Wow, sounds great, Dad. Is it as good as Wild Wings? Son! <laughs> son! I don't think you're understanding. And so we walk into this place, the kids' eyes are this big. They sit us down, they treat us like royalty. They sit down, they say, flip your card, we flip the card, and there's a massive amount of meat piling up on the table. Let me, let me spare you, I ate as much meat as I possibly could, and Ethan ate at least double that. All right, when dessert is coming, Ethan is still consuming meat. All right, I'm sick just thinking about it, honestly. I don't know how this happens. What I'm seeing, though, is Ethan, when we come back, Ethan goes, Dad, that was awesome. Can we go back there again? I'm like, get a side job, all right, and send your sissies to work, too, all right, and then maybe we'll talk. But Ethan's like, wow, Wild Wings isn't even in the same category, and I know that after I have encountered Fogo de Chao. 
it took an encounter to really understand. I could try to share a list of all kinds of things. Here's what it's like. But that stuff doesn't really make sense on paper or on a list until you walk into the presence and taste literally. Oh, this is what it's like. I want more. How about this one? Parenting. I was a youth pastor before I was a, a dad. And parents would come to me and say, Nathan, help me. And I'm like, you've come to the right place. <laughs> come into my study. I just read a book on parenting. And I'm going to bless you with the abundance of my knowledge. <laughs> the reality is it took becoming a parent to realize I have no clue whatsoever about being a parent. There's some things you actually, I actually look back and I'm embarrassed about the advice that I gave to people about something I never experienced. I'm like, what was I doing? It's, it's, it's pride, it's arrogance, it's ignorance. It's just like you know, some things you have to taste. This is why the Bible says taste and see, not look and see, not even read and see, taste and see. That I'm God. Oh, oh. I, I, I want to I, I wrap a, a, a biblical theology around actually encountering the God we study. And good study will lead us to an encounter. The Bible is actually God's divine revelation to us, and he didn't give it to us to be an end in itself. He gave it to us to be an encounter with his person. He never gave it to us so we would read it, and then we would score points with the Almighty and say, hey, you like me now? You like me? If you're in Christ, liking you is established. He's given you this to facilitate an encounter with who he is. And so you read this like a lovesick lover. Say, I want some more meat. Take me back to that place. Ow. Oh, wow. Whoa, here it comes. Ow. Oh, easy, easy, easy. So at Providence, we've got this. We've got this emphasis on the presence of God and encountering God, and it really, it, it literally has nothing. We are not trying to entertain you. I promise. Hook every one of us up to a lie detector test of the best kind every single day of our lives. And I promise you, we've never once thought about trying to entertain you. See, at Providence, we, we, we talk about encountering God, which is not a, a Christian way of saying, let's give these people some nice things to watch. We really, really, really believe that each person was made to taste and see the greatness and the goodness of God and to know Him. Know Him. You know what a generation longs for is not, is not fog and lights. Not, not just, not just uh, uh, feels but real, real, real genuine knowing. God, it's, this has been wired into our spiritual DNA. Wired in. And so what I'm learning is that there is a deep depth of theology, a deep depth of relationship, and a deep a depth of kingdom impact that only comes from close proximity to God. 
There's some things you only learn up close about God. There's some things you, there's some impact you only have as a result of being with God and then him sending you out. There's some things that, that, uh, there's some levels of relationship that you only get after you've been with God sitting at his feet, soaking him in. So, oh, that's how it is. That's how it is. Here's some examples. How about the prodigal son? I, I could preach on this story for the rest of my life every single Sunday. And I try, and you know that, all right? I, try, I do try, but I know that there's some other parts of the Bible. It's just such a beautiful example. I love how the prodigal son, he goes and he wastes his dad's inheritance, and then uh, after telling his dad, I wish you were dead, give me my money, and he goes and wastes it in a matter of days. He comes home, and here's the theology he creates on the way home. I'm going to go home. I'm not good enough to be a son anymore, so I'm going to tell dad, just let me be a hired hand. Oh, maybe he'll let me in then. And the father runs to the boy. Here's good theology. The father runs to the boy, and he teaches him a lesson in his arms. There's some things you can only learn in the father's embrace. There's, there's, there's some things you can only learn as you feel his heartbeat in your confusion. Oh, this is going against all the theology I ever thought. Dad, I thought I had a good theology. I thought, hey, it doesn't make sense anymore that I'd be a son. Listen, the father says, you can't not be my son when you are, no matter what you do. So I'm welcoming you back. Oh, you're just, I'm glad that you're home. There's some things that you learn from here that you can't learn from here. Though here is not bad at all, it's wonderful, and it's made to revel in God. How about this one? Mary at Jesus' feet. Martha's in the kitchen serving Jesus. Serving Jesus, literally serving Jesus. Quiche. Yeah, well, what else is good? Hummus, all right? What else is good? Meat, yes. I was waiting for somebody to say, ah, here we go, pile it up for, for Jesus. And Mary's angry. Where's, or Martha's angry. Where's Mary? Mary's not doing anything, sitting at Jesus' feet. And Jesus comes to Mary's rescue saying, well, Martha, you're serving and you're wrong. There's only, there's some things that you can only learn from here. Oh, I thought I was right. One of my favorite psalms and the entire Bible is Psalm 73. And this is a psalm about a man this far away from renouncing his faith. He says, I know God's good. I know that. I know he's good. I know he blesses those with a pure heart. I know those things. But here's my experience, that people who reject God don't bank on his goodness and his love. People that live for themselves, their life is better and easier than mine when I've dedicated my whole existence to following him. They're succeeding, sorry, uh, while I am suffering. Let me swallow. Ask <laughs> you, uh, okay, uh, get back in. Okay, the, the, so, so the psalmist is saying, this doesn't make any sense to me. And do you want, do you want to know, this psalm, the first half of Psalm 73 is just this wrestling match with, God, I thought you were good. I'm about to abandon you altogether. Don't you know that when you have a, a theology that you've just learned in the classroom and never learned in the presence, that's easy to walk away from. So here in Psalm 73, 
the psalmist, look at if we just pick it up here in Psalm 73. This isn't where I'm staying. You don't have to turn there. It should be on the screen. Psalm 73, starting with verse 16, it says, When I thought how to understand this, meaning I've been following God and I'm suffering and people who haven't been following God are being blessed. I can't understand this. It seemed to me a wearisome tax. It's wearing me out from the inside out until, verse 17, I went to the sanctuary of God. Now, the sanctuary in the Old Testament was the place where worshipers gathered in close proximity to God. And the, the Holy of Holies is where the literal presence of God dwelt on earth, dividing people from the presence of God with a veil. But you still get into close proximity in the holy place, in the sanctuary. And that, when he walks, he goes, I cannot figure this out with my mental capacity. What is it going to take? Well, he goes into the presence of God, and then it makes sense. Then it makes sense. He's frustrated. He's confused. He can't make sense of anything. What do I do? Let me try this. I'll walk into where God dwells. And then he says this in verse 21. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, listen to this. Listen how, how, the, how presence drives his theology. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand, whether they're being blessed in that way or not, whether they're being blessed in that way or not, here's the big blessing that I'm coming to know is your presence with me no matter what. You guide me with your counsel. Afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire but besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Listen to this. It's this crazy talk. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. Hey, they have a different treasure in life, and they're getting it on earth. They're far from you, and they're perishing in their journey. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you, but for me... It is good to be near God. And friends, this is a theology that we cannot lose. Nearness with God, holy place, pursuing him in his presence. I feel like we need to get this more. I've been obsessed with the Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians, especially Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter 13, the very last thing that Paul says to the church in Corinth is this, starting with verse 11, finally, brothers, rejoice, this is a command. Rejoice. Manifest joy on the earth. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will what? Will be with you. These things aren't an end in themselves. These things uh, usher in an environment for connection with God. When there's a house divided, God doesn't show up. When there's people that aren't aiming for restoration, they're trying to tear each other down. God, you won't find God in that mess. In a manifest kind of way like this, he's always with us, even in our worst times, even our worst decisions in some ways. He's omnipresent. But he manifests his presence in a way that can be enjoyable and glorious in this Context. Look at verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with 
you. This is presence. This is presence. And it's so interesting. Um, even Acts chapter 4, starting with verse 13, when the, the context of this is, is John and Peter had just healed a lame man. And it, stir, and it stirred up quite a, a ruckus. And all the religious leaders and Pharisees came out and were trying to find some fault with them. And it says this in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. Like, yeah, these guys haven't been through our programs. These guys haven't been through our systems. These guys haven't been through our education procedures, but they're speaking with a boldness that we don't even have, I'm astonished. What's the answer to this? What is the answer to our astonishment? Close proximity to a man named Jesus is the answer. Do you see this? They perceive that they were uneducated, common men, they're astonished, and they recognize that they had been with Jesus, been with God when that begins to mark your life, when that becomes the, the signal flare that you're coming into the room, I don't know about this person's past. I don't know about this person's future. I don't know if they have any letters behind their name, but they are marked with a presence that is astonishing. I would say that's when the church is actually starting to really be the church that God had intended all along. We talk and we have a group of people that get together and we, we preach to each other, we teach to each other, we try to grow in this. It's called communicators community. And we get together and we, we study this a little bit and we speak into each other's lives. And uh, one of the things that we say in communicators is that when you're speaking, people need to recognize that you've been with God more than been to seminary. That's the main thing for us. Uh, it's not just if you look smart, sound smart, okay? It is have you come out of the presence of God before you stepped in, onto the podium? And this is what has to be important to the church. This is, this is a, a theology for, for operation. You can be organized without this. You, you can, you can be, it can be smooth sailing without this, and that's the, that's the, the weight of it. The, the, that's what makes it scary. It's just, where does the presence of God and meeting with God actually fit in your life? So I want to talk about the, the presence of God, and I want to talk about the mission that will drive you when you get a hold of it for a moment. And this is why I asked you to flip to Exodus chapter 30, and then, friends, we will be in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. But I want to talk about the presence of God for a moment. And this is an obscure passage. I, I don't read this passage just for fun. But, man, if you haven't read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, you know, the Pentateuch, all right? If you haven't, these are, these, this is stuff to mine. We do know that the, the Old Testament, it's not like, it's not useless. The Old Testament is still very real. But the purpose of the Old Testament was to show us that we needed a Savior and we are not him or her, all right? But it was also to, to paint spiritual, paint realities on earth as illustrations of spiritual realities that are coming. So the Bible says that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. We have a lot to learn in this area, and these things aren't useless. We don't just read this passage and say, oh, not anymore. This is the New Testament. Okay, so here's a passage in Exodus 
uh, chapter 30, starting with verse 22, these are, these are, what these are, they're very specific commands for anointing oils and the incense blend that is supposed to rise in worship morning and evening in Old Testament worship in the temple. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yes, I know. <laughs> it doesn't seem like it's that good, but it is. I know. I love our children. They just, they, they keep things real. Listen to this. Verse 22 says, The Lord said to Moses, this comes from God, Take the finest spices of liquid myrrh, 500 shekels, and of sweet-smelling cinnamon, half as much. That is 250. And 250 of aromatic cane, and 500 of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hint of olive oil. And you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil, blended as by the perfumer. There will still be a holy anointing oil. Wow. And I don't want just anybody to make this. I want these things to be made by a, a pro. A perfumer. Take these, an anointing oil. Now, the reality is if you mix these things together, if a perfumer does this, the, the aroma that comes out is magnificent. And you, so, so you, you, it produces this, this smell, this, this, uh, this beautiful environment. Have you ever just smelled something beautiful and it was a bad day, but suddenly you walk out into a field of flowers and you're like, the atmosphere's changing because it is. And so here we've got, we've got this, this decree by God, make anointing oils like this. So an anointing oil for a priest is, uh, and, and priests were to be anointed with this. We, we'll pick that up here in a, in a moment. But anointing oil for priests is, is the priests were those that God had set apart um, to minister before God as between God and the people. And so here we, we've got these priests, they're to be anointed, and the interesting thing, they're supposed to be anointed with this, that means that they're going to have a very unique, beautiful aroma all over them. So here, if, if we look here at, at verses, verse 30 and, and 32, you shall anoint Aaron and his sons. They're all going to be priests. Consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. And you shall say to the people of Israel, this shall be my holy anointing oil. Like, why is God making such a big deal of this? This shall be my holy anointing oil throughout your generations. So this oil that the priests are anointed with, I want this to go on forever. I don't want this to stop. Look at verse 32. And it shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person, and you shall make no other like it. And composition, it is holy, and it shall be holy to you. Wow. That's the kind of passage that usually I just skip right by. I say, OT, that's OT. OT, what's the new T? What's the New Testament? Well, OT is still in operation, my friends, just in a wonderfully new way. So this oil for anointing the priest, so it had a, it had a fragrance that's unique. It signified holiness and and uh, I've dedic in dedication to the things of God with my life. It signified calling. It, si it signified the, the, the position um, of that, uh, that one would stand in. And it, it's consistent in its, in its essence and its smell. So you smell one priest, you've smelled them all. And those who minister in God's presence, they've got a smell of this. It signifies the anointing on their life. 
God's, God's presence got a, has to smell like this. God wanted his presence to have a smell too. And you see this if you just look down a little bit in verse 34 to 37. The Lord said to Moses, take sweet spices. And then there's some things, I don't even know if they exist anymore, like a, a sock, stock and uh, uh, something with an O, and uh, you can read that. Sweet spices with pure frankincense. Of each shall there be an equal part. And make an incense blended as by the perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure and holy. You shall beat some of it very small and put part of it before the testimony and the tent of meeting where I shall meet with you. Do you see this church? Do you see this, friends? God's like, Moses, the place where you and I meet, the place that where my presence is going to dwell on earth, the place where you and I are going to talk like friends, it's going to smell a certain way. I'm telling you how I want that place to smell. And I'm telling you how I want you to smell as a result of being in my presence. There's oil for meeting. There's oil for countering. encountering. Moses, when you and I, God says, encounter each other, I want you to be able to leave smelling a certain way. And if you read the book of 2 Corinthians, you know that when Moses first talked to God face to face at the burning bush, his, his, uh, even the skin of his face and the hair on his head was changed and lit up. It was fading, but it was glory. And now we have a glory that when we're in the presence of God, it doesn't fade, it increases. The glory increases. But here, these are pictures. These are pictures. This is unique. This is one of a kind. So let, let, me, let me wrap all of these anointing, presence, oil, aroma things up for you into this. That there is a biblical mandate for the smell associated with ministering before God and being in his presence. There's a reality that you could, you could smell a priest coming. And that smell that was on them represented who God said they were and what they do. They minister in my presence. You could smell them coming. It should be obvious that they've been ministering in the presence of God because of the aroma that's washed over them and has, has gotten in every fabric of their being. The other night I was tucking my daughters into bed and Grace hugged me and then she sniffed me and she said, you smell like nanny. <laughs> Nanny's a 91-year-old powerhouse of a woman that's still going strong, beats me in cards all the time. I hug on her because I'm thankful for, for, uh, for old women in my life. I just hug on her. And so I hugged her probably five or six times, and as a result of my close proximity with her, guess what? I smelled like her. That's how it works. So my daughter could tell that I encountered Nanny because of the smell. Have you ever smelled something that takes you back to childhood? Good or bad, you're like, whoa, this reminds me. All of a sudden, all of your memories are engaged, and you're remembering things that you had forgotten for a decade, but you smell at once, and you remember with ease. Because smell is spiritual. The way that you're supposed to smell is, is supposed to, is supposed to uh, uh, manifest memories. Remember that time? Have you ever roasted s'mores? I usually don't smell like chocolate. I usually smell like burning wood, all right? And then so you roast s'mores and you come in from the fire. At the fire, you didn't realize that you smelled. When you come in, though, and you smell yourself, since you're in a new environment that doesn't have burning wood in it, you're like, wow, I smell like the environment that I was in. This is so important. 
So there is a smell that should be obvious to people and to the world that you are anointed as a priest in a kingdom. There is a smell that should accompany you, a spiritual one, that should proclaim to the world, I've just been with God. See, because in the, in the, like I said, Old Testament practices did not stop. They've been fulfilled in Christ. And, and these Old Testament practices, they're, they're pointing to the future, to deeper spiritual realities. Then there were rules. Today, they're fulfillment. Then there was something we couldn't live up to. Today, they are fulfilled in Christ and given to us as gifts. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10, Peter says this, you know what? You are a royal priesthood in Christ. You want good theology, friends? Let me tell you who you are. In Jesus Christ, you are a royal priesthood. It means that you now are God's people priest on earth, meeting with God and taking the smell of his presence to every place where humans inhabit on this planet. You're a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession. You no longer belong to yourself and you love it that way. You found that he is far better than everything else and you've sold the field. I belong to him. I am not my own. I found that being second in the universe is way better than being first. I found that I've been fashioned in my mother's womb to be second, not to have the universe surround me like I'm the center, but I, I have been fashioned to make much of he who is number one, the center. And I love being number two. I love just being his presence and making a big deal of him. I love proclaiming the excellencies of him who called me out of darkness. This is the gospel. He called me out of darkness into his marvelous light. I'm now a creature of a new kingdom, an image bearer that was dead, but now has been raised. And now I belong in a different kingdom. And in that kingdom, I'm a son, I'm a daughter, I'm a priest to the world. This is, this is, what Christianity is. Every Christian is a priest. Every Christian is one who ministers before the presence of God. And in our world, the word priest has such a horrible connotation because when the darkness grabs a priest, it messes everything up. But when you're a priest in the kingdom, as a son or as a daughter, you light up the world. So we minister before the presence of God and our primary testimony of the greatness of, of God is not in, listen, and I know that I'm gonna hurt some of us, and I really, I, I, I really don't mean to, but you gotta hear this. This is out of love. We've gotta take down some old walls, and we've gotta rebuild them. But our primary testimony that God is who he says he is is not in our apologetic, but our primary testimony that God is who he is is in the unique smell of the presence and anointing of God on our lives. We've been taught how to argue with the world, but we haven't been trained in the presence as sons and daughters, then sent to the world from with or with that environment. Priest of God in the kingdom of light are to have a unique smell because you were anointed by God. 
in the presence of God. And when you walk into the room, the atmosphere should change. Everything should shift. Have you ever known a person like this? The party's dull until they arrive. Not that we didn't get new food. A new song didn't come on. It's just Sammy showed up. Changed the whole atmosphere. Have you ever been in a room where you're singing songs, but it's not songs to God in the presence? It's just songs on a screen out of tradition? And then Holy Spirit shows up. Nothing changed. The, 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 the band didn't get more skill. The lights didn't dim more. It's just that God began to do what he says he will do when we gather, and that's inhabit the praises of his priests. Inhabit the praises of his sons and daughters. He's just shown up in the room, and everything's changed. This is what the church is called to do. This is lighting up the darkness. This is bringing life to deadness. This, when you're desperate, and someone who is an image-bearing son or daughter of a new kingdom shows up in their priestly function, hope begins to rise in a heart, and it's not even reasonable. It's not even reasonable Sons and daughters are to be atmosphere changers in this world because we are anointed by God and live in the presence and are sent from the presence into the world, changing the environment. People just smell God on us, spiritually speaking. And that, my friends, is good theology. So if you want to change a room, if you want to change a neighborhood, if you want to change a region, if you want to change, uh, if you want to see there be a cultural shift, man, I want a cultural shift in the Hanover borough where we be, begin to dream again. Well, if you want to see that happen, you don't wall up and reason the other side into your kingdom. You arrive. You arrive. Just begin to be what God, what God is calling you to be in that moment. There is not, or let me say it this way, this is not learned behavior. There's no steps to this. Well, give me 10 steps. Well, I wish I could. But I didn't give my kids 10 steps to being sons and daughters in my house. They just are and they're growing because they're in close proximity with me. This is not learned behavior. It's evidence of living in presence. It's evidence. It's evidence. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Amen? Whoa. Hey, the victory train has come to town. It's always triumphant when Jesus is, the, is on the horse in the front. Thanks be to God. And do you know what this does when you see Jesus as triumphant? Thanks burst out of you. Having a bad week? Jesus has triumphed over everything. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God who in Christ, you don't have to win your own battles. You don't have to be your own triumph. You are triumphant as a gift in Christ. Who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Everywhere. 
This is a picture, this is like a Roman picture. When Rome would conquer people, um, Rome would parade the new prisoners in the back, chained and bound up, and they would parade all of the best warriors up front with the, with the conquering king or whoever led the armies. And all the people would line up and they'd throw flowers and they would actually uh, burn incense. And there was a, 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 the smell of victory. Actually, as the horses and the people would trample on the flowers that the people would throw, it would, re it would release a fragrance in the environment, in the atmosphere. It was the smell of victory. And so it says, it says, we are the aroma of Christ. His people are the aroma of the victory of Christ. We are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved. That's the people who have conquered. And uh, among those who are perishing, that's the people who have been conquered but, actually, but need a new kingdom. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. My friends, when you start living in the presence of God and then invading the darkness, not everybody's going to like you. Some people are going to be reminded that they're, they're dead and they need Jesus. And they're going to they're gonna cock their sights on you. Bam! But you belong to Jesus. His victory, it's his victory making them uncomfortable. It's his victory showing them that they need victory. Th this word, thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge. This word spreads, it actually means to diffuse. It's like if you have a diffuser in your house and you put an oil in it and you turn it on and suddenly from the basement to the attic, it smells like lavender. Hello. This is it. it. It spreads through the house. It spreads. It's, it's a little bit that fills up a huge space. It's a, it's a manifestation. And so we diffuse the fragrance of the knowledge of God. Knowledge meaning the real knowing from the head to the heart knowing. We diffuse encounter with God wherever we go. We diffuse the victory of Jesus wherever we go. We, we diffuse the need for victory in Jesus wherever we go. We're carrier, carriers of the aroma of the presence of heaven. Yeah. This is who we are. We are, we are high priests in a new kingdom. I remember street preaching in Chicago when I was studying there. One of the scariest, most stressful things I've ever done. Michigan Avenue, one of the busiest streets you'll ever find. People shopping, hustling, bustling. It's windy, it's cold. And I would set up and I'd begin to paint. And I was a part of a whole team. I don't know how I got roped into this, but I, I hated it, man. <laughs> we would have people at every intersection holding out tracks, whether people liked them or not. It's just a waste of paper, you know, it's just as they're going, ah, ah, ah. And then I would be speaking. We would have people posing as listeners, but they're actually from my school, actually going, oh, that's a good point. Is that not a good point? Look at this. Whoa, 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 whoa. And I'd be preaching, ah, Jesus, 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 wow! And the only thing it ever did was start arguments with Hindus. All it ever did was start arguments with Mormons. All it ever did was start arguments and then the people that were actually pretending to listen would just watch because it's like a good, you know, daytime talk show where people argue. 
I'm just watching this. I'm just watching this. I'm at the place in my life now where I would rather stand on a street corner and say, who here is living in darkness? Who here has the weight of the world on their shoulders? Can I pray for you? Free prayer right here. Free prayer right here. Jesus invade this darkness by doing all kinds of things that our theology has told us have stopped. God, show up in these desperate people's lives like you say you would. I don't want to argue with you. I want you to be wrecked by the presence of God. I, I don't want to... Look, you're not reasoned into the kingdom. It is unreasonable that if you leave the father and come home, you're still a son. That's not good reason. That's why the son came home saying, make me a slave. It's not reasonable. Apologetics work best on the foundation of the presence. So when you start in the presence, then you use apologetics to speak the love of the father to a heart of person who's in darkness. That's what God uses. But you don't argue people mostly into the kingdom. Our greatest evangelism strategies need to be facilitating encounters with God. Let me give you a taste of what you were fashioned for. Taste and see that God is good. If we don't know God from the foundational presence level, our life can't be more than... Uh, Religious, where I'm trying for God, but I don't know what it's like to be loved by Him. I'm trying for God. I just feel, I still feel like a slave in a kingdom. Singing a song like No Longer Slaves does absolutely nothing for this heart because if I was being honest, the real song would be I'm still a slave, not a child of God. Oh. I was sitting yesterday morning in my office at home laboring over this. And uh, my daughter Grace walked in. She was the first one up in my house besides Adrian who ran a 15 miler before nine, all right? Sickening, Jesus help the woman, help her Jesus, 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 come on, hit her God. Gosh, I'm very proud of her and wanna be like her. And Grace walks into my uh, my office and hands me this. See this? Let me read it to you. It's called, I love daddy because. <clears throat> I love daddy because he makes me laugh. I love daddy because we are alike. Oh boy. Suddenly I don't know if I can get through this. Give me a second. Pray for me guys. Here we, whoa, here we go. I love daddy because he makes me laugh, because we're alike, because he's good at sports, because he loves me, because he cares for everyone, because he makes things happen. Come on, girl. Uh, because he loves Jesus with all of his heart. Please say that. Uh, because he has an awesome truck. <laughs> Thank you, Gene Latiford. All right. Uh, he, because he is, he is smart, because he is loving because he will do anything for his family, because he takes us on vacations, because he wants me to be happy, because he is very funny, because he loves coffee and ice cream cake. Forgive me, Jesus. All right, but that's true, yes. Uh, because he takes us out for sushi, because he helps me, because he is good with dogs. And then she ended it because he's the best man on earth. And that is a theme that keeps showing up, showing up in my life. 
God, keep speaking that over me. Guys, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, I did not program this into my children. I did not create a class that says, hey guys, I want you to learn the 20 reasons why daddy is pretty amazing, okay? Number one, he makes me laugh. Write it, write it, highlight it, highlight it, write a report on that. It's gonna be three months. We're gonna learn the 20 principles of daddy's awesomeness. This is not it. Listen, this is birthed out of proximity. This is birthed out of presence. This is birthed out of being with dad. And this is what so much of us in the church know nothing about when it comes to the father. If there's a song beating in my chest, it's get in the presence of God and have God send you out as a son, daughter, priest into a world and stop trying so hard to be loved. This, this, it is everything, everything. It's wrapped around this. When you know that the gospel does not save you by the skin of your teeth and ask you to try hard, but the gospel welcomes you in his family where you belong and where you now have access to the Father, that the curtain that used to divide God's presence from the people has been torn angelically from top to bottom, and the, the presence of God has been released to the new priests to carry to change atmospheres with the aroma of his beautiful presence. This, my friends, is not light shows and smoke hogs. This, my friends, is what the church needs revival in. Just being in his presence, and that is enough, and then he changes the world as he sends you from there. Amen? Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that this word will bring light to dark places, life to dead places, hope to desperate places, and heaven to earthly places.